Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Greetings. This is Rob Hartzler from TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the honor of hearing from Dr. Alex Weber from Los Angeles, California. He is Assistant Professor of Clinical Orthopedic Surgery at Keck School of Medicine of USC. Dr. Weber, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we're going to be discussing your article, hot off the press from the March 2019 issue of the journal, entitled, Injections Prior to Rotator Cuff Repair Are Associated with Increased Rotator Cuff Revision Rates. Dr. Weber, corticosteroid injections in rotator cuff disease certainly a hot topic right now. And it looks like tendon bone healing is one of your academic interests. Is that what prompted this study? Definitely. I think um, with rotator cuff uh, tears and repairs, we obviously see some pretty high rates of uh, failure or, or re-tear in the literature. And we're always striving to improve healing rates in rotator cuff repair. Uh, one thing that really interests me is the fact that uh, with uh, the advent of bigger anchors or suture tapes, we can really improve the time zero biomechanics. Uh, however, we're not focusing on improving the biology over time. And so this was the, the first step in a, in a series of studies, I think, where we're really going to start driving at how can we improve the biology along with uh, the technology or the time zero repair. Well, what did you find in the study? Uh, tell us the take-home message. Sure. Um, so I will give you a, a quick summary of the study. Um, we looked at uh, a large uh, national database, uh, Pearl Diver is uh, the way we went. And what we looked at is uh, we found a cohort of patients who had an injection prior to rotator cuff repair. So they had some shoulder injection uh, within one year of the time of their rotator cuff repair. And we uh, age matched uh, that cohort, age and sex match, uh, that cohort with those that did not have injection. So we had uh, about 22,000 patients in either group. Uh, and what we looked at is uh, what was their uh, revision rotator cuff repair rate. So we're not talking about um, per se failure um, in the sense that their by MRI, their rotator cuff didn't heal. Uh, we're just looking at they had a revision rotator cuff repair on that same shoulder. And what we found is that whether the surgery was done arthroscopically or in an open fashion, injections significantly increase the risk of a rotator cuff repair revision. And what we found is that that effect was both time dependent and frequency dependent, meaning the more injections someone had prior to surgery, the higher their retail, their revision repair rate was, uh, and also the closer those injections were to the time of surgery, the higher the revision rotator cuff repair rate was. So it looked to me like the odds, especially mm -hmm. in the group that had multiple injections, um, it was basically double the risk. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. So um, more frequent injections and injections within three months of surgery were significant, very significantly uh, linked to revision rotator cuff repair. 
And overall, it looked like that revision rate uh, in the study was about 4.7% versus 3%. Is that correct also? Correct. So it's, so it's higher with the steroid, but not, you know, not a bad rate overall. And, um, and even though it's statistically significant, what do you think? Is that, is that a clinically relevant increase? I think that that's a very important point. Um, we're looking at uh, small percentages of revision rates um, or a, a significant increase, but a small number of revisions. However, the thing I, I always mention when we talk about that is we, we are, again, looking just at revision rotator cuff repair. We're not looking at the patients who say, uh, forget it, I'm not going to have another surgery. We're not looking at the patients who say, uh, forget it, give me a superior capsular reconstruction. We're not saying, forget it, uh, let's do a reverse shoulder replacement. None of those patients are involved in this study. This is purely revision rotator cuff repair. So those numbers, I think, would, would be much, much higher if we capture all of those other uh, patients as well. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, any, do you have any data on uh, or any, any inkling of what the actual structural failure rate uh, increase might be, steroid versus no steroid? Do we have any information about that? We don't, but uh, hopefully for all those listeners out there, they stay tuned because uh, we're looking into some creative ways where we can uh, get some more detail on that. Excellent. It's a, definitely a, it's a ton of shoulders in this study, 22,000. I mean, um, that's what those large database studies get you, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Do you think, so, I mean, is that, uh, is that reliable information at, you know, there's some limitation based on that's just what people code, correct? Absolutely. So with any study, there are always limitations. This is um, uh, very true of our study as well. This is a retrospective database study based on billing codes. Uh, there's some pros to that. There's obviously some cons as well. Um, and in this case, um, we know that these patients had a shoulder injection. We don't know that all of them are uh, corticosteroid. Mm. Uh, you, can, you can get into what are called J-codes and certain other things, the very granular detail, and find out how many were steroid and how many were other, whether it's uh, PRP, Toradol, visco supplementation. You could um, kind of distill that down. However, if we look at, uh, we've looked at some epidemiologic studies and um, somewhere between 75 and 95% of injections are corticosteroid. It's probably much closer to 95 uh, in this patient population. So we felt fairly comfortable that, although we can't say for sure everything was a corticosteroid injection, the vast majority of them were. Great. Uh, so, uh, another limitation of the study. But like I said, uh, the reason I think this is so powerful is that if you if you look at this from uh, frequency of injection and a, a dose, time dose uh, response, um, we know that we're capturing a small group of patients. There's a, a much larger group out there that either chooses not to have the revision uh, rotator cuff repair or weights or has a different procedure um, that's not even captured in this study. 
So I'm I'm sure getting into this data has changed your practice patterns a little bit. Is that what do you think? Is that fair to say? I think that that's a very fair uh, conclusion. Okay, here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a couple of things yeah. at you. So let's say you've got a 50 year old laborer in your office, otherwise healthy, that says, you know, Doc, I've you know I've had the shoulder pain for a few months. Um, you know, give me an injection. Let me. I got to get back to work. What do you think about that? Um, I have a very frank conversation with those patients. I think uh, it's not just our study now. There's more and more studies coming out, smaller tears, um, those with a better quality tendon, less uh, uh, muscle uh, atrophy uh, or fatty infiltration have higher healing rates. Um, and with the data that we have now, I like to talk to those patients your best chance of having a great recovery, getting back to full function, uh, uh, maybe with a, an earlier repair. Having said that, you know the advice of a surgeon or a physician, for that matter, is to provide advice and counsel, and uh, to make a joint decision with the patient. So if the patient says, "Doc, thanks for all that information," um, you know I, now I know my options, um, but um, my wife isn't working or we have uh, um, social situations which don't allow me to have a four and a half to six month recovery right now um, for my manual labor, then he or she has all the information they need. They make a decision. I'm happy to provide them steroid injection. Right, right. right. Yeah. So in, but in the scenario I gave you, you don't even know that they have a rotator cuff. So I was, I was sort of hinting at, you know, are we scanning more people because of this information? I mean, let's say that that patient that you suspect might have something that is a candidate for repair, you know, are we doing more imaging studies on them because of this kind of information than we would have done in the past, let's say? Um. I think you're absolutely right. I, I am a little more uh, inclined to uh, scan earlier rather than inject first and then scan. And again, the reason for that is, um, number one, if they have any strength deficits in the office, um, I'm, I'm certainly going to scan. And number two is uh, I'd like to have that information on the front end um, for all the reasons I mentioned. If someone can... Uh, if someone has a small full thickness tear or a small or medium sized tear with good tendon quality and uh, lack of muscle involvement in terms of atrophy or infiltration, then uh, I think their best chance of ha- of uh, regaining full uh, range of motion, full strength is uh, right then and there, not if you wait six months, a year or greater down the road. How about just the types of injections that we should be doing? Should we start to move away from corticosteroids? Should we go to NSAIDs or PRP? I mean, I, you've, said, you've said already that we shouldn't just assume these are all a, it's all a corticosteroid effect, but that's sort of my interpretation of it, I guess, because that's, that's the most common injection you know, that'd be done in the office. Yeah, by far and away, that is the most common injection. Um, I do have some patients who uh, have benefited from others. I think a a secondary uh, conversation is, uh, can we do better than corticosteroid uh, for the shoulder and in general for our patients that need injections? Um, 
And I think that's a great opportunity to talk about some of the biologics or things that should be um, in the future of orthopedic care and sports medicine. Um, but we're not quite there yet. I think PRP is a great uh, anti-inflammatory. We, we use it a ton in our USC athletes uh, in their care, and it works very effectively as a uh, anti-inflammatory. We have a lot of patients, especially in LA. This market is uh, is kind of crazy, which I'm, I'm sure you know most people are aware. We have tons of patients who come in every week saying, "Doc, you got to give me stem cells." You know, I read this thing, or I saw this thing, or this other provider told me, you know, ten grand later I'll be cured. So people are very willing uh, to do that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is you know, uh, you and I know that. Uh, right now, stem cells, PRP, these things are great anti-inflammatories. We can get anti-inflammatory um, uh, proteins and signaling uh, into the tissues, but we can't really get those uh, signals to regenerate any tissue. So I'm very cognizant with my patients. We we talk about the pros and cons of different injection types. I think PRP is a, is a good option uh, for some of these patients to decrease inflammation and allow them to progress in physical therapy. Uh, and it doesn't have the deleterious or detrimental side effects of potentially a corticosteroid. In the discussion, you talk some about corticosteroids being associated with tear progression. And so that made me wonder, am I overusing corticosteroids for elderly patients? Because that's sort of, I think, a big use in my own practice um, where someone might not be a surgical candidate. Um, and so we temporize them and try to get them some pain and functional relief by the anti-inflammatory effect of the corticosteroid. But, but maybe that's bad too. What do you think? Rob, I think that's exactly um, the patient to be using them in. Uh, I think if we uh, had multiple clinical scenarios in this conversation, the first one you brought up is a, is a really important one. Um, uh, I'll say the young uh, active overhead laborer who comes in with a small full thickness rotator cuff tear. Uh, that that gentleman, in in my mind or in my practice, I think is someone who is uh, better served with an early uh, surgical intervention, an arthroscopic rotator cuff repair. I think um, the second kind of category is maybe the older, less active uh, patient who comes in with a full thickness, large or massive, a retracted rotator cuff tear who just really needs uh, pain control um, and maybe a little bit of increased function uh, to be happy. That patient is a perfect example of someone who, uh, in my practice, will get corticosteroid injections uh, until they're not satisfied anymore. Uh, but let's and, say that, so let's say you've got that patient, they've got a painful shoulder, but they've got good function and they're getting injections every so often. I mean, should we be counseling them that, hey, this injection may put you at risk for tear propagation to the point where, you know, you're going to have to have a reverse or you're going to have to have some crazy surgery because you can't raise your arm anymore. Well, that's what I, that's the point I was going to drive at is that there is definitely a, a, a patient population where uh, uh, when you get into the 75 and plus year old range, probably where um, they can have corticosteroid injections over and over again until they come in and say, listen, doc, I'm not happy. This isn't really cutting it anymore. That patient is probably more uh, suited or better suited for uh, the reverse anyway. All right. So then let me hit you with one more scenario. So let's talk about that sure. time. Let's talk about the time 
uh, dependent factor. So you've got a patient who is, let's say they've got a medium full thickness, uh, supraspinatus tear, and they um, are a good candidate for repair. And they say, you know, doc, I've, I can't, I can't do it for six months. Let's just do an injection, you know, to kind of get me by until then. I mean, are you, are you being paternalistic now and just saying no, you know, the risk, the, the additional risk is too high that you're going to re-tear it. You know, do you say, okay, we'll do one. Do you say, if we do one, we're going to have to wait a year. What, how are you, how are you handling that now? That's a great question. Uh, in those patients, I, I give them, uh, um, the information I have available to me, but I, I do think, you know, a corticosteroid can be a great uh, option if someone needs to wait six months or, or more. Um, and if that's their preference after hearing all of the data we have available to us, then I give them an injection. I think if you look at uh, our data from our study and some of the others available, it really, um, the odds ratio versus never injected um, is much higher out until about three months. And then between uh, or after three months or four months to a year, it kind of normalizes or settles at a slightly uh, uh, higher than, than uh, non-injected. So I try not to operate on anyone within three months of a corticosteroid injection, but I think at six months or greater, it's probably uh, okay. Well, I think this was uh, a very productive and practical discussion. Any other closing thoughts? Thanks, Rob. I agree. Um, no, I, I think this this uh, paper was really uh, timely. There's obviously a lot of interest in this right now. I think it, it's not an um, end-all, be-all of research by any means in this area. So I don't want people to uh, completely cut out using corticosteroids in their rotator cuff practice. I think it just uh, provides a little bit of insight into what uh, may be coming in the future uh, and that we should strongly consider looking at what we're injecting uh, and how it affects the surgeries we may be doing in the future. Um, and uh, lastly, I think uh, it lends to further research on this topic. So I hope to see uh, uh, more papers coming out in the future. This article from the March 2019 issue of the journal entitled Injections Prior to Rotator Cuff Repair are Associated with Increased Rotator Cuff Revision Rates can be found on the Arthroscopy Journal website at arthroscopyjournal.org.